Before we get going into your Hockey IQ podcast episode, I want to thank our sponsor, Rapid Shot. Rapid Shot is the smart shooting lane. Uh, it's like a batting cage for hockey players. Very cool. Tracks your shot in three ways. Accuracy, shot speed, and reaction time. Uh, easy to use. Uh, actually, I used it when I played and was growing up. Very easy. Simply scan your phone in, select your settings, and start shooting. Uh, you can see your stats on the app and online. And you can check them out at rapidshot.com. Uh, great small business. I actually grew up with one of the owner's sons and have played with all the family members by now. Uh, just in local pickups here in Ohio. Very cool local business. Awesome product. I love it. I know quite a few NHLers have them in their homes. Uh, a lot of D1 programs have it at their rinks. So you have to check this out. Rapidshot.com. Check it out. Rapidshot, thank you so much for sponsoring our podcast. On the Hockey IQ podcast today, we bring on Russ Sinkowicz. Uh, super excited to bring on Russ. He's a guy I've wanted to have on for a long, long time. We finally were able to make it happen. Uh, started all the way in Cleveland, worked his way up to the AHL, uh, storied career, and now is passionate about giving back to the game with the Ohio Hockey Project. So, uh, Russ, thanks for being here. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit, maybe a 30-second background. I, I know – that I try to keep it really short, but we got a lot to dig into. Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me on. This is, this is great what you're doing with this. Um, yeah. You know, you touched on it, but Cleveland guy, and I was very fortunate to uh, really play at, at every level the city uh, had to offer. And um, yeah, you know, while I was playing, I, I quickly uh, was assessing what I want to do when hockey's done. And, and for me, it was, I wanted to coach, but I, I didn't always want to be behind a bench. I wanted to try to do, some greater good and you know why not start in the community that i felt gave me so much and that was northeast ohio so that's when uh geez, back in like 2008 2009 when we started the ohio hockey project and just a third party skill development group we don't do teams we don't do tournaments we purely work on on the player the family education not only from a skill side but decision making and everything in between that but um yeah, I mean, I literally eat, sleep, breathe, live hockey every day. So it's beautiful. Um, I want to start today talking about when players should go to the next level because you played in the AHL, you played in NCAA hockey, and uh, no offense to Ohio high school hockey, it's probably not the most premium uh, product out there. But you, you started your high school career on the JV team. Uh, and went from there. So I'm curious to hear from your story, your side, what it was like your journey from there all the way to the professional ranks. Yeah. yeah I mean, I'm, honestly, like I would almost define myself as like a have not my whole career. Um, you, you know, like I, I played at like a house level till I was a peewee. I played double A hockey till I was a Bantam. I played JV hockey till I was a junior. You know, I was kind of always a, a kid living in the bubble. Um, which in hindsight was actually the best thing for me to, to have that adversity at a young age and constantly be having to work for things. But, um, you know, this is a, a really good topic because a lot of families ask me this. And, and I think it's not just only in, in Cleveland or Northeast Ohio. I think it's everywhere where kids and families are always looking at like the next step and going to the next place and obviously wanting to better yourself and, and reach, reach goals, which, which could be really attainable, but uh, you know, kind of the metric that I always use. And when I, when I advocate this to, to families and players is, you know, 
a jump to the next level isn't warranted until you're a game changer where you're at. Um, obviously that's a loose definition because game changers come in a lot of different shapes and sizes and forms and whatnot. But, you know, I'm a firm believer that if you're not impacting the game, let's just say at a house level, what would validate your jump to a double A level or same thing from double A to triple A or whatever from maybe like a high school to junior or whatever it might be. But, um, that's kind of a metric that I, that I felt over, you know, at any level, at any, in any city, whatever, it really kind of stands the test of time because if you're not a game changer, if you're not a dynamic player, if you're not making an impact, you know, from shift to shift or game to game, well, ultimately the next level is filled with just the next crop of, you know, quote unquote, good or better players. Um, so it, it's hard to, to, you know, say, Hey, yeah, I'm such a great player. If I'm not changing the game where I'm currently at. Um, and, and it's a fine line because, you don't necessarily have to be a game changer to find an opportunity at the next level because there is a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of organizations and in any city um, for that matter, and a lot of different leagues at at every level. Um, But, but I always think that that's a really safe metric that if I'm a player and I lived it and and I felt like, you know, my maturity from level to level from junior leagues. And, you know, I went from, you know, one league to a better league to a best league. And it was, a really organic growth and everywhere I stopped, I gained a lot of confidence at that stop. I gained a lot of self-improvement. My skill improved. Um, my perspective as a player improved. And then ultimately I think that's what warranted, you know, my jumps from, you know, JV to varsity or, you know, a tier three junior team to a tier two to a tier one or whatever it would have been. Um, you know, I, I think that's always the best way to look at that going from the next level. I think there's a lot to do with being able to process the game because the game is so fast, the higher and higher levels. If you're unable to get at or above the speed mentally, like you can be physically better and just dominate that way, but you're going to struggle at the next levels. Like you need to find a place where your mental processing is at the level of the game, if not a little bit above, so you can experiment and add layers into your game. I think that's, probably a key uh, underlying component of, of what you're talking about. And I think you're absolutely true. Like you need to dominate before you move on uh, because it only gets better, only gets tougher, you know, and how do you go about maybe not just dominating with one a game, but dominating with a B and a C game where no matter w- what comes uh, against you or what team you're playing, you can d- still have success. I think that's a key element. I'm curious for you, how did you go about adding to your skill set and making these jumps in relatively quick order? Um, you know, I, I look back and, you know, so I'm, I'm 36 years old. Uh, I didn't probably have a lot of resources that let's just say like a 16 year old or whatever has today, or even a younger kid has today with social media and a smartphone in your pocket and YouTube and all that stuff. But um, I, I genuinely and wholeheartedly believe that it, you got to be a student of the game. And, and what I mean, and I'm sure coaches have, have said this to their players and maybe parents have, but, you know, to me, I always define being a student of the game as just, I was so engulfed in like the learning process of it. Like something as simple as if a coach is explaining something, you know, to another one of my teammates or whoever, like I was engaged in learning from that coaching criticism, even though it had nothing to do with me. Um, or, or simple things with, you know, I was, I was really lucky and my dad would take me to, uh, we'd go to university of Michigan games and college games. And we'd go to, um, Cleveland lumberjacks back when they were an IHL team, um, all the time. And I just remember, 
I was so enamored with like getting early there and watching the warmups and like watching patterns in the game and what players did. And I was a defenseman. So I was just glued to every right defenseman in the game at all times. And, you know, and, and it was like that, that process of, wow, what are they doing? What are better players doing? And, you know, I'd go, you know, like any kid, you know, I'd watch NHL games at night and I just, I didn't, care about the score i didn't care about the superstars as much as i cared about you know like oh that's what an overload power play is or oh that's what a d2d hinge was or and i just remember learning these like really important components to the game but at a young age and it was most of which was kind of self-taught because i mean ultimately i I was just super passionate about the sport so like anything you're passionate about um it's fun to get good at things and well you know, what an opportunity just to improve yourself and the better you get at it. Um, you know, I, I think that was for me. And then the other thing was, is, and I don't like to use the word compare to other players because ultimately I, a big part of my career, I did have my blinders on and I stayed in my lane with what I needed to do, but, you know, having the opportunity to be surrounded by older players or I used to make a living at like stick and puck. I would go to these stick and pucks everywhere around the city and every now and again, I'd be like a, a junior kid or a college kid. And mind you, I'd be like 15 or 16 or 14, just getting dropped off there. And I just remember like trying to get reps against older, better kids that really I had no business being on the ice with um, from an age and ability standpoint, but just get getting this high of like trying to stop them or like just watching what they were doing, you know? And, um, and again, I didn't have the, the luxury of, you know, YouTube on my iPhone in my pocket or Instagram or any of that stuff. I had um, rinks and I'd have to call the rink and find the stick and puck schedule and go to stick and puck with my friends and whatever. But um, being a student of the game, ultimately is that's, I think what makes or breaks a kid's, you know, personal and individual development. It takes a lot for a player to get to that mental maturity. Um, Have you always been that kind of player who's been mentally strong and, really thoughtful on this or is this something you've learned to love um and this will maybe be a two-part question on this back end of like how do you help players love the game more because once you love it you can give more and the more you give the better you're going to get and the more you'll get out of it so it's kind of like a catch-22 the more you do you might burn out but you got to find ways to love the game and how was it for you of like learning to love the game and finding that mentality of work 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 um curious how, how that evolved for you yeah. I mean, listen, I like, I don't think there's a, a, such a thing as a perfect player or person or kid or like anybody, I'm sure, you know, I messed around and I was a kid and goofed off and stuff, but you know, at some point I think it kind of clicked maybe when I was like 14, 15, which is I think a good maturity age for a lot of kids where you start to identify, like maybe I'm getting good at, at, at something or for me getting good at hockey where it's like, wow, this actually might be um, my like a calling in my life. Like this might be what I could do and I can actually pursue hockey at a college level or something like that. But, um, this, but you, you bring up a really good point to, Hey, like it's a really, to be honest with you, like razor thin line of burnout and passion. Um, I can only speak on my own experience, but hockey is just what, like, that's what made me go everything about the sport. Like, the, the dingy smell of like the Zamboni, like, what is that? Like natural gas air, whatever. The smell of Zamboni makes in a rink was like, I'm, it just excites me. It was still, I walk into a rink to do a session. 
I mean, well, I do it literally hours every day. And I just get so excited driving to a rink and thinking about what I'm going to do. And um, for me, it was just this internal, like, just fire of like, this is what I do. I just love hockey. I loved shooting a puck hard. I loved how a puck would travel in the air. I love skating fast. I love, you know, making plays like that fun thing of like possessing a puck. And um, so then you kind of just get this, like, to be honest with you, I think the best word, you know, positively would be obsession. Like I just became obsessed with getting good at things that I knew were important to being a good hockey player, skating fast or getting strong or having a good shot or, you know, learning positions and stuff like that. Um, and it, but, you know, it, it really is a fine line because, you know, you can't push an eight-year-old to think like that because you will burn them out and then it won't be fun. And then they're not going to pursue it at a high level. Um, it's a matter of like the kid always asking for more. And, you know, I think the one thing that I'm so grateful and I have so much love for my parents and how they raised me is that, you know, they had no, I had no competitive advantage with hockey. My parents never played. No one in my family ever played actually, but um, all they did was just push me to work hard. They didn't really, you know, they weren't critical of my outcome of like my statistics, you know, they, maybe if I didn't play as hard as, or didn't do as well as I, I could have, they maybe would have been hard on me, but it wasn't like, a statistic driving, you know, tongue lashing. It was just, you got to work as hard as you can. You always got to be a good teammate. It was these really just kind of universal life skill type concepts that then I, I fell into this groove of, I just did these like really important, like tangible skills. Well, um, and then that started like invigorating all these little like subsidiary things of like, well, I got to get better at my edges or I got to get better at my position or my individual skills or whatever it was. Um, you know, so, I mean, if, if there's any parents that are listening, I, I think it's really important to just, you know, you just keep surrounding your kid with resources, but then you also got to listen to them And it's not just listen with your ears, but it's listen with your eyes. You know, like if you're seeing the bad body language, if you're seeing you know, if, if their schedule becomes saturated, I think this is really important too. Um, you know, I always, whenever I went to a rink and I just remember this, even at a young age, like I just couldn't wait to be there. And I'm sure like anybody, you know, there's probably times that I, I complained and I didn't want to be there and it was earlier or cold or whatever. But um, I do remember that I didn't skate every day. I skated a couple times a week or I had breaks, I had seasons. Um, so I was always hungry and motivated to get back at it. And that's one thing that, that I think is, it's tricky because obviously the game's progressed a ton and development and things happen at a younger age and kids are better at a younger age and it's more competitive, but um, there needs to be breaks because if a kid's schedule becomes really saturated and they just, they're always on the ice and it, and it, it doesn't become a privilege to be on the ice anymore. It just becomes an obligation or it becomes like what you do that gets that starts to kind of tilt the scale towards burnout versus, you know, inspiration. And, and that's something that even what we do, you know, we're, we're really deliberate with how we even program, like, you know, through April and May, we don't do a lot. And, and we only go by appointment only because just philosophically kids need to need to pump the brakes. They need to pick up more now a lacrosse stick or a baseball bat or a soccer ball, um, golf club, something, I don't know anything, but um, you need breaks and maybe more so mentally. And, um, I've been having this conversation with a lot of families lately on the younger end with things are so much more stressful and competitive and the anxiety and pressure on kids at a younger age 
you know, that's what, you know, kids or players that were my age felt when I was like 15 to 20, obviously in a much different place to manage that. Now kids are getting that pressure from seven that are playing, you know, competitive hockey, double A, triple A, whatever it is, you know, they're feeling that it's seven, eight, nine spring tryouts and multiple teams and 60 plus game schedules playing really like, you know, teams that have a national ranking, um, kids, my age players, adults, my age, we didn't have that. So we didn't have to manage that stress and that pressure. So if anything, that's just a big blinking, like, you know, warning sign of, Hey, I need to work that much harder to avoid burnout and keep, keep it passionate, you know, for my kid and keep it fun for my kid. Um, which, you know, some people, sometimes I think they heed that warning, but that's really important. It's, it's really important. Yeah. And it's tough when you see everyone doing everything else and with the social media, you, you just see the good snippets. You don't see the full journey. So, um, that's an absolutely key element. And I want to go back to a few things. I think you had a few golden nuggets. Um, I'll start with overtraining or getting into it too much. I, I like to think of it like hockey as in cake. Like if you have cake every once in a while, it's awesome. You love it. You look forward to yeah. it. If you eat cake every day, sooner or later it sucks and you start, it starts getting really bad and you start breaking down and it's just terrible. So don't eat too much cake. Uh, that would be my thing. But um, even going back further than that, you talked about loving possessing the puck. And like, I think that is a great way to make players love the game. I remember um, going from like, team to team, not so much as in jumping around organizations, but just going from like one age group to the next and different coaches. And like the, the coaches that wanted you to possess the puck were so much more fun to play with. Like you could make things happen. You're expressing your creativity. And I, I think that we forget like hockey is a way that kids are able to express themselves and having that puck just makes it so much more fun for them rather than dumping and chasing, um, just throwing pucks at the net, whatever it may be. I, I think that's an amazing thing. I'm curious your thoughts on possessing the puck. Obviously everyone wants to have a puck possession team, but like the, you almost need the permission to possess the puck because it increases the risk a little bit. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, I mean, I guess there's a few points to that, but you know, I, especially with our younger kids, it's such a simple phrase, but it's like, can you win a hockey game if you don't have the puck? No, you can't. So don't give it away. You know, dumps, there's a coach I played for years ago. Um, he would always call them deposits. And he's like, it's just another deposit to the bank. And if you don't, if you if your dump isn't a proper deposit, you're just giving it away. He's like, can't give away your money. You got to deposit. And it's like, so if you're going to dump the puck, it's got to be a positive deposit, right? Um, and it's the same thing with like a puck. And there's little games, you know, like every coach. And yeah, obviously USA Hockey's done a great job. And there's, there's a ton of science and research behind it. But um you know, stuff as simple as just keep away. It sounds so remedial and so not cool and so not Instagram worthy, but keep away hockey is some of the best teaching. We do that. Like even the stupid stuff, you know, five minutes at the beginning of practice, you throw like two pucks on the ice. You got 20 kids trying to keep them, but like even small area games that, that we like to do a lot of stuff, like there's no shot, there's no shot. There's no nets in the zone. It's just, three on three keep away and you're teaching kids to move away from the puck. You're teaching kids to just keep the puck on their stick uh, and understanding too. Um, and listen, you know, no kid's perfect and there's not, you know, it's not because of bad coaching or anything like that, but there's this idea of like you get to the puck and then you, you, you hit it or you slap at it or you just get rid of it. Whereas like 
your play is either a pass or you keep it. And if you don't have a pass, you're not making a play. So then if you're not making a play, you're making a problem. So don't make problems, make plays. And it's like, then get your hips around the puck and just protect the puck. And then, then it's a, it's a great teaching point because teammates have to move to become an option. Right. Um, and listen, it's not that kids aren't as smart as they used to be, or certain kids in certain programs aren't as good as others. It's just, you know, I, I just think young kids don't know what they don't know. And it's not get to the puck and hit it. It's get to the puck and possess it. Um, at a young age, certainly you don't teach these things, but then it's fun as kids get older. Cause then, then you really get to start teaching like those high level nuances of like, bring the puck out of the zone, suck a player, you know, open lane, suck players out of position to make other plays. And, you know, that's obviously like really fun hockey to, to not only coach, but to watch um, at any level really. But um, yeah, I mean, it, obviously there's a puck possession game and it's the importance of, of owning the puck because without that little piece of rubber on your stick, you're just, you're chasing it around all night and then you're going to lose. Yeah, that, that's the fun kind of hockey possession. How do we suck players in? You're starting to get into these high levels of thinking and uh, players have so much access. Like you and I did not have video. Like uh, I remember seeing myself on video for the first time being, how terrible am I? Like, geez, Louise, if I would have known, like I need this information. Um, it's just amazing how, how great some of these young kids are, are thinking in the game. Um, but I, I get concerned sometimes with schedules that get so packed and they're doing so much. Are players and parents almost too busy to think and just enjoy the game and pick their spots of how to best enjoy it, how to best spend their time, how to best send their resources. Um, you think that's an issue of being too busy to think and those that maybe add in a little more slack, have more creativity, have more fun, able to go further uh, with, with it. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I definitely, I try to remind as many families that will listen to me that like, it is an extremely small minority. I mean, we're talking like a, a percent or a fraction of percent of, of kids or adults, I guess, let's just say the quote unquote made it. However, whatever your definition of making it is, you know, they didn't play hockey with the single goal to make it. You know, like, I don't know any of my friends. I certainly at no point did I ever say, like, I'm doing this to be a pro. I wanted to be a pro, but I did it because I loved it. Um, and, and that's really important because, like, I look back on it and um, regardless of when hockey ends for every kid, um, all you have is your memories. All you have is your time and your experience. And um, I, I'm just so grateful for friendships I had uh, with coaches, with teammates, like my family had with other families. I'm so grateful for the memories of, of road trips with my family and like hockey tournaments that turned into vacations, basically like getaway weekend vacations, basically like, you know, like every month. But, um, you know, and, and I just think that a lot of families, they, they get um, enamored with the teams or, or the rankings or statistics. And it's like, yeah, sure. To some degree, some of that stuff matters a little bit, but at the end of the day, what matters the most is the experience. I think it goes into your earlier point of like, how do you fuel passion? Well, you feel passion with positive memories. And at no point did I ever have, and I guess I'm very blessed for this, but a negative hockey memory, you know? Yeah. Like losing games or getting yelled at, but like, again, that was part of the process and part of the journey, but like, you know, the more positive memories you can pack into the experience of playing hockey well, doesn't that just instantly throw like another log on the fire of like, 
the motivation and the excitement and passion of it. Um, Cause at the end of the day, when hockey ends, it ends. And then what, and then you, you get a career, you go to school or you, you, you do what you do. You have a family, whatever. Um, in all, every hockey player looks back and like can always smile at like a, a stupid memory with a teammate or a road trip or a story in a locker room or, or a big game or a tournament or something. Right. And it's like, that's, that's what mattered most um, that I don't think a young inexperienced hockey parent can quantify maybe a, you know, a hockey parent that played and, and has the same cherished memories, but um, that's what matters most because when it ends, it ends and whatever you did, sure. That's great. But all, you, all you're going to be left with is those memories. And that's ultimately why we do a, uh, you know, hockey is a privileged sports are a privileged sports are a commodity. You know, that's why you do those things. Oh yeah. I love that. I remember uh, vividly being around like pools at the hotel and we had a teammate that had a guitar pulls it out and he's playing and, Oh, we found out that one of our other teammates is his bandmate and now they're going after it. It's too much fun. Yeah. Or mini hockey in the hallways. Like that's, that's a good times. Um, yeah. I love, I love that passion. You, you fuel passion with positive memories. That's, that's a line I'm, I'm stealing from you. So thank you for that one. That one's fantastic. Cool. I think it's true. Absolutely. Um, moving on here. I'm curious. So COVID was obviously difficult, but I think it showed a lot of people the value of off ice or doing things virtually, whether that be um, virtual workouts, virtual video sessions, like, or it could even be technique. Like I had a few players where they would send me them videos of them shooting. I'd do some corrections. Hey, try this, this, and that. They do it, send it back. And like, there's a lot of benefits that I found were even more powerful than I thought. And I already was using it. So I'm curious from your perspective and helping players and training players, you know, what can a player do via virtual slash dry land or any of those to help themselves? I think there's a lot of fun and a lot of improvement that can be made uh, rather than just being at the rink all the time. Maybe you do it at a beach in Florida, like that's your vacation. (laughs) course um yeah yeah i mean i guess there's a, a few points to it i mean you know any young hockey player like they should want to just shoot pucks and stick handle like all day i shouldn't say they should want to but i mean it's definitely i, I know my childhood revolved around playing street hockey and just shooting pucks i just i vividly remember i remember my, my dad took a it was a broken sheet of plexiglass from uh this rink by my house and that was like my synthetic shooting lane it wasn't synthetic as a piece of broken glass but that's what i shot pucks off of my whole childhood and i just hammered pucks all day long and shot pucks and shot pucks and shot pucks and it was like such a fun activity for me um you know and and stick handling and just counting how many times could i bounce a tennis ball on my blade like stupid stuff like that and you look back and it's like well it's actually really good individual skill development but um you know it, it changes from like that at that young age of just working on your stick skills, which could be literally done every single day. I mean, during COVID we were doing virtual stuff. Um, I was literally, I just moved a couch in my living room and I had like kind of like this little open foyer area. It couldn't have been more, I could barely get like my stick from wall to wall. Like I'd maybe like, I don't know, let's go, let's just be generous and say I had a 10 foot by 10 foot area and I was doing full on like stick handling these things, like every little pattern I can think of and dream up and do. And then, transitioning that into like body weight workouts and like, you know, from the youth end of it, I I think it's really just 
stick skills are really important shooting and stick handling and you know because you're, you're younger right your body's growing i don't think there should be any strain on like training but as kids start to get older you know the dry land component becomes a, a really important thing i mean there's kind of a big cliche saying like oh you don't score goals from the weight room and i think that's literally the most ignorant statement i've ever heard um because the stronger you are the more athletic you are the better you're going to perform or the less likely you are to get hurt um so in hindsight you actually will score more goals when you're on the ice healthy performing at a high level um i think it's just a more of a figure of speech or a literal statement that lazy kids wanted to say but um so as kids get older you know spending time in a weight room is absolutely critical and hockey is a really unique sport because you look at you know you let's just canvas the nhl and if you were to have a bunch of nhl athletes standing next to a bunch of nfl or nba athletes it's a very very different build um but that's just because what the sport demands it's so high aerobic and anaerobic at the same time um that you gotta you just gotta be a really really good athlete you gotta be in great shape and um, as kids get older, I, I think the importance of nutrition is so critical. And it's something that I look back on my high school years. I, I, I regret not having the education and not being a little bit more wise with what I was putting in my body because I trained so insanely hard, but I didn't, I didn't match it with that same effort in the kitchen or at the restaurant or in the cafeteria, wherever I was eating. Um, I just ate like, like a normal high school. I just ate crap food all the time. And it was like, and I look back on it and it's like, I figured that out when I got to college and it's like, wow, now I'm actually really strong and I've got the physique and I, and I've got all these gains. Um, because you know, you, you've got to absolutely as hard as you're going to work in your skates on the ice, doing skating drills and shooting and battle drills, whatever you're doing, that same effort has to be matched in the weight room. And that's especially in today's generation, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago, you can get away with not maybe being the best athlete, but just having really good skills or a really good brain. Well, now you need to have a really good brain, really good skills, and a really good healthy body, a really strong body. You know, you have to have that trifecta to be whatever you want to be, a division one or division three, a college, uh, a USHL, a, you know, a pro hockey player. You have to have all of those tools. Um, and I just, performance training, you know, we, we spend a lot of time on it with our kids in the summer. Um, we always refer out to a lot of different coaches that we work with, but I just can't, I, I really, especially my older kids that like will come up to us and be, yeah, coach, we want to, I want to play junior hockey. I want to play college hockey. Okay. Whatever. That's great. How come you're not working out six days a week? Don't, don't tell me that then because that, you, that in and of itself is telling me that you don't want to do that, that you're not going to commit to doing that because you have to be, you know, pound for pound, really strong, you know, and there's a lot of different ways to get there. But um, that focus on nutrition, you know, I guess the long about answer is how do you improve your dry land? Well, you better eat well. And if you're young, you better always keep a stick in your hand. Or once you get to those teenage years and beyond, um, you better make the weight room your second home, I guess, maybe your third home behind the rink. But um, it's, you know, I guess my two cents on it. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I remember coaching high school hockey two years ago and I had this kid, he was always tired. And I'm like, so what do you eat? Like he was at a private school. So he had access to the best of the best foods yeah. and he's telling me his diet. I'm like, dude, nothing but processed sugars. I'm like, no wonder you're tired the whole time. I'm like, trust me, get, go get a gallon of water, drink that every single day and stop eating sugar, nothing else. And I guarantee you, you'll feel much better. Um, you know, it we started in the right direction. 
Yeah, yeah. And we did a video on this not too long ago, but just like, um, you know, sometimes in my opinion, a, a big reason, and I think a lot of nutritionists would agree with this, but like inconsistency in athletes, it doesn't come from effort. It doesn't come from a lack of ability. It, it comes from their nutrition. You know, in the more, you know, more sound, the more consistent of a diet, healthy of a diet you have that instantly is reflected on your performance. You know, how you're, you know, whether you're talking about your endurance and how tired or tired you don't get, you know, the strength, you just, your the clarity of your mind, how your body's processing and thinking and the ability to, you know, have those legs late in the game or to play, you know, these kids that are playing, you know, four or five games in a weekend at these tournaments and showcases and stuff like you know, you got to fuel your efforts and it's just so important. So yeah, important. I, yeah. I, de I definitely failed at that in high school as well. So, uh, chalk me up is definitely way worse than you probably, but I, I did re yeah. realize at the end of my high school and definitely finally in college, like the difference it makes by like eating whole foods, just as simple as that. Like you don't even need a protein shake, just eat, eat some salmon or something like that. Yeah, of course. Absolutely fascinating. So, you work with a, a ton of players. So I'm curious with all these hours at the rink, what are some common technique issues that you're seeing? Or what are some things that you're commonly seeing amongst players where you're like, man, they really should have had that at a younger age. Or what are some things that you're like pretty much every player I work with, I know I can fix this and they're going to be better. So go, going technical yeah. here. Well yeah, it's hard. I mean, listen, every single player in the world is unique and has a different set of, of deficiencies, a different set of strengths, wants, needs, all that stuff. Um, you know, I don't, I guess it's really hard to kind of blanket statement that with like, well, we see this a lot with these kids. It's, I mean, listen, I think every kid needs to have a better focus on skating. I just think that that's kind of common sense. And every coach will probably say the same thing. Like, Oh, if you can't skate, you can't play. Well, of course you've got to be a great skater to be an effective player. Um, you know, the conversation changes as kids get older, you know, maybe we start to focus more on a hockey IQ thing, maybe how they're, you know, how they process decisions and, and how they make plays in the game to younger kids. You know, we just try to keep it a really, you know, and I probably push this point really hard, but try to make it really, really fun. So again, kind of what I said earlier, but like a kid associates just positive memories to hockey and then hockey was just super fun that hour. And it doesn't mean we're playing tag and wasting time goofing off. It just means, you know, a really positive coaching delivery. It means a really positive set of drills that, you know, rewarded kids with, with shots or goals or fun, fun scoring opportunities. Um, you know, so I, I think that conversation changes a lot based on the age, the ability, really the ability level a lot. Um, you know, younger kids, we just try to really hone in on technique because I think as the kid grows, they're going to either grow into positive habits or negative habits based on the foundation that they got at a young age. And sure, things can be changed and improved over time. But I mean, wouldn't you just rather have a really great foundation laid at eight or nine years old or seven years old with, with if we're talking stride from just a, a triple extension and a full recovery under your hip and, and you know, controlled upper body movement and, and arms reaching through your stride, all these little things. Um, well, why not just learn that? and learn it really well from like five to nine years old. So when kids get stronger and then the game actually does get complicated, um, they have the foundation. They don't need to like second guess and relearn how to do it properly. So skating for me is huge. Um, you know, for two talking shooting, same thing. I mean, it's, 
really honing in on the technique of, of how kids, you know, everything from puck handling, passing, shooting, it comes from your edges first, which goes back to skating. So the better you become at skating, well, every single stick skill will improve based on your stance, based on your edge control. So, you know, that it's, I guess it's technical and it, and it becomes a really individualized conversation, but I mean, that's kind of the direction that we will take once we make an assessment on, on a kid or a group of kids or, or, you know, their needs. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. And every group's different, every player's different, but like I remember seeing once a player and, and this fellow assistant who was like, I don't know what's up with this player. I, I can't figure it out. Like something just seems weird. I'm like, dude, he doesn't have an outside edge. Like he would like skip off his outside edge, but he had unbelievable inside edges. Like he probably played a ton of tag as a kid. Never had to get on his yeah. outside edge, but he was always stopping and starting, juking out. But I'm like, outside edges seem to be one that I, I find a lot of. Um, that's pretty massive. And then depending on the stick handling skills, like the top hand seems to be really underdeveloped, especially because it's like stuck on the hip. Like that's something I see a ton. It's like a, mm. even, even with like some strong stick handlers, they'll still get that puck on their hip or the top hand on their hip too much. And it just, they don't have any range of motion or they've got to skate an extra distance around. It's, it's just, a, it's, a, it's amazing. But like you said, you can lay that down. Like for example, I study a ton of European soccer. Like they're like, by like age 13, you're pretty much done. If you don't have it technically together, like it's just super hard after that to put it all together. So like their whole idea is like technique, technique, technique. And then from that point on, it's like, okay, technique's fine. Now, how do we make it better, faster, stronger, of course, smarter um, rather than technical? Yeah. You know, I, and I think something that is really important on the development piece though, is that, you know, a, a child has to want to get better, you know? So it, sure. You can be working with the, the quote unquote, the best coach ever, right. Whoever you think that might be. But ultimately if, if you're not hearing what the coach, not just listening, but hearing what the coach is saying and, um, you know, something I, I tell kids all the time is that like, listen, I, I certainly wasn't a superstar and, and there's a lot of things that, um, you know, I'd, I'd love to do differently if I, if I could be a, an eight year old again, but at the end of the day, all of the successes that I had in hockey were predicated on two things and it was coachability and it was work ethic. And it's like, then everything followed that, like my development, my, you know, this being a student of the game that fell in line with being coachable and, and I went to the rink wanting, yeah, sure. I was a kid. I, I, got, I goofed off. I had fun, but especially once I kind of like that, that switch went on in my head that like, Hey, I'm a hockey player. I do hockey. This is what I am. Um, then it was coachability and it's like, you've got to be coachable and okay. If we're talking, like you mentioned top hand stick handling, like, you know, if you're doing sessions with a kid or a team, like you have to keep telling the same kid, the same skill over and over and over week after week for a season. It's like, well, if you don't want to get better, you're not going to get better. And that's great. And that's fine. Then you just, you know, it's important that the, that family and that child or that player really, you know, has really um, honest, you know, and, and transparent goals with themselves. Um, that, that's really important, you know, so wanting, you know, to, to listen and, and get better and, and take those improvements. And, you know, if it's an outside edge thing, we got to listen to your coach. You got to really implement that. You got to try, you got to, you know, put down that, that comfort level of, you know, that vulnerability of getting made fun of when you fall and put yourself out there and be vulnerable and, and improve it. You know, it's very important. It's yeah. Important. And that, that's so massive. What you just said there of like having the ability to have a coach ability, like 
some players I don't think understand. I mean, most of them do now. I feel like this is getting better uh, from when I first started where it is now, but just like the ability of taking feedback, like feedback is a gift, like whether you like it or not, like someone's actively willing to try to tell you this, like the worst thing that can happen is someone totally gives up on you and you don't hear from them. Like at that point, you know, you screwed up. <laughs> if someone's yeah. still willing to coach you, that's, it's a lot better. So uh, I'm assuming you, you've come across that a few times. Yeah, I've had to remind a few kids that over the years, or especially some of these the, the kids that I've worked with that are really talented. And, and listen, we don't certainly I, I don't yell and scream ever at a kid because I I absolutely hated when coaches talk to me that way, and I I just want to be you know the best version of myself and, and create a positive environment. But I tell that to kids when they're like, oh man, like if you know if I was hard on a kid or you know, I'd shorten the bench on them, but it was to teach them something. It's like, I'm hard on you because I believe you. And that's what you want. Like you just exactly said, when a coach stops talking to you, then, then there's some concern and maybe up on you. But if a coach is constantly in your ear, well, they believe in you, they see something in you and they, they know that you can perform better. They know that, you know, you haven't reached your full potential and that's, and that's what you want. And what a, what a great statement though. It's a, feedback really is a gift you know criticisms constructive criticisms that's a gift um that's the price of admission you know so take them take them and apply them yeah and the second piece you had that i thought was absolutely critical was like this open self-awareness where you're like actually honest with yourself and your self-assessment i think that's the beginning of any kind of improvement whether you're a coach player parent human being whatever it's like having that ability to self-aware and reflect um did you keep a journal at all as a player or as a coach or how did like obviously you were a deep thinker but like i'm curious if you like set side moments or found ways to do that purposefully um not you know actually i worked uh so i would have been 18 19 at the time 19 i was playing a, a cornwall colts like central junior hockey league junior hockey before i got to college um, that was actually the first time in my career I've ever worked with a sports psychologist. And it was someone that was just affiliated with the team. Um, you know, it wasn't something that I went out and like, you know, suck out, seeked out personally. It was just, he was around the team and he talked to guys, but that was the first time that I actually then really took a step back and, you know, kind of tried to dissect my mindset and my approach and my mental, um, you know, where I was at in my headspace. Um, and ever since then, that's when I really started taking like visualization into my game. Um, I did not journal, but I would, um, and I, like the, to the student of the game part, like I watched a lot of hockey of myself, if I could get video when I was older or just on TV. So I guess that was kind of like my version of journaling to some degree, but, um, really the visualization piece for me was, was huge. And. Um, we try to do a little bit of that with the project and one of our coaches, Jake Noon is amazing at these type of things, but, um, the visualization and, and walking yourself through scenarios and rebounding from a bad scenario, from a good scenario, seeing, you know, just positive thoughts, positive vibes. Um, you know, cause listen, having that self-awareness, like there's highs and lows for every career, every kid in every career in every sport, you know, so that's important. You know, having lows is important and having those humbling moments of, those scary moments of like, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not going to make it. Well, that's adversity that you need to work through because very, very, very few players are on easy street their whole life that just didn't have to work for anything that just made it to the top and hey, good for them if they did, but I'd rather be on the other end of it where you had to work for it and had some lows that and some setbacks because 
that's, you know, it's an opportunity. You know, I got cut from more teams than I ever made. And every single time it was an opportunity. So um, it was an opportunity to, to prove people wrong. It was an opportunity to grow and develop. And it was also an opportunity to self-reflect, to say, hey, someone doesn't think I'm good enough. So maybe I'm not. What do I need to improve? Um, and that's very, very important. Um, and then it also kind of it reassesses that. It, it moves the needle with, hey, maybe I'm not going to the NHL next year. Maybe uh, I got a couple steps before that or whatever it might be. But, um, yeah, that, that, that self-awareness is really, really important. And just being in tune with your self-progression and, and where you're at. And, I don't again, I don't like to wor- use the word comparing yourself to others, but – you know, just kind of keeping, keeping a, you know, an eye on the horizon, I guess, is, is a light way to put it. But, you know, that is important, very important. Within the visualization realm, I really enjoyed how you were talking about, like, reinforcing positive vibes and positive thinking because there's no one who's going to talk to you more than yourself, right? So how do you – like, you don't want to be delusional, Again, we talked about being that self-reflective and being aware, but how do you get yourself into the proper mindset that you want to put in the work, that you want to improve, that you're asking yourself that question that you talked about, what do I need to do to improve? Like, I think that is absolutely massive. The players that are able to do that, I feel like the lows are less low, the highs happen more often than not, but that's not always easy and it doesn't always come natural, but I think that's absolutely, absolutely massive is how do we talk to ourselves how do we handle these humbling moments of like, okay, I failed, but I'm going to do better. Like, I think that's absolutely massive. I love that. Um, yeah. I mean, you got it. I mean, your self-talk has to be positive, obviously first and foremost. And um, I would just always, especially as I got older and, and, and the sport became more serious in my life, <clears throat> it was kind of just having, you know, moments to myself away from my teammates where like, even when I, you know, getting dressed in the locker room, even I just went in the bathroom, just washed my hands or took a minute by myself, just, okay, getting ready for practice. Okay. It's, it's time to work. It's time to get my stuff together here. Or especially in games, my, my teammates on a few different teams um, in like college and pro would like kind of make a joke of it. But I used to do this thing where I would um, coach would come in. I don't want to say it was like a seven o'clock game. We had like a five thirty pre pregame meeting, whatever it was after that guys would go tape sticks, the candle, do their thing, jump some rope, kick the ball around. I would literally find a place in the rink at every place I played. And I would literally hide. I'd get away from every, I'd find janitor closets. I'd find under the bleachers. I'd be by the Zamboni pit. You name it. I found a place that I was around. No one. I would just hide. And I just put my hoodie on. I didn't, I wasn't a big music guy personally. Um, I would just think, think about the game. I was a defenseman. I think about breakouts. I think about making a big hit. My things that I would, you know, being dynamic, good gap, good stick, stuff like that. But um, obviously these things, those thoughts changed over my career. And as I got better, they were more refined and more detailed. But even when I was like younger and junior in college, it was just like, all right. And I'd always finish my thought with like, got to have some fun tonight. Got to have some fun tonight. Because as things get more serious and even for little kids that are playing competitive games, winning is a priority and all these things, the number one priority is always fun. It has to be fun. And you have to re re, you know, reposition and, and change your perspective of 
why you're in that big game or that competitive game or whatever it's because this is really fun like this is fun to play in front of this crowd or play against these top kids in my state or city or country whatever um that that's fun making plays or or playing against players that could prevent me from making plays that's fun um you know and and that's kind of it started at fun and then as i said again as i said i got older i got better those thoughts became more refined but Always yeah. coming back to got to have fun tonight. I love that. That is amazing. Got to have yeah. fun. Um, I mean, that's a competitive advantage. Like how many programs out there are super serious? If one just had fun the entire time and the kids loved it, like it would be off the charts. But nonetheless, um, wh- one thing I want to touch on, and then we can leave this to an open-ended question and talk and whatever, wherever you want to take this. But I, I think that the number one item, and there's many items that I, I truly appreciate, appreciate about you. Um, but I, I think the number one for me is your ability to communicate with players and parents. Like you never tell them anything other than the straight up truth. And it comes from a very sincere place and you do it consistently. I'm curious where that came from and how you develop that style, because I, I've never had any issues with parents and I've coached 10 plus years. And I feel like that has come back to communication with players, parents, everyone around. And it's criminally underrated. Like I hate referees that like hide whenever you're trying to talk to them. Like I just want some communication and I can't imagine that other coaches, players, parents, et cetera, don't love that. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I take all of the good and the bad from every coach that ever had, that I ever, you know, got to work with in my entire career. And I think that's like any, coaches you just you're the sum of all of that right but um I just the best hockey I ever played in my career is when I had a great relationship with my coach I knew where I stood I knew what he liked what they didn't like um there was no reading between the lines that didn't exist the gray area the worst years of hockey I ever had were when I played for coaches that didn't communicate maybe didn't you know they they yelled they 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 ridiculed you or whatever it was, they were negative, but again, the foundation, they didn't communicate. And that's something that, um, I just, you know, when I, for a few years, I did coach some midget teams. I, I helped with the USHL team before, but it was just, Hey, letting a kid know where they stand every day, every week, every month. And, and the same goes with parents. You know, I, I hear, you know, coaches be like, Oh, the worst thing about youth sports is parents. Well, I, I actually wholeheartedly disagree with that. I mean, the parents are, that's so fun. It's, it's building more relationships with great people. And you know what? Parents get stressed out when they don't know what's going on and they don't know what's going on because you never told them. So take the time to have open conversations. You don't have to like or agree with what I'm saying, but this is my mindset. This is what I see. Let me give you a glimpse from my perspective and then let's meet in the middle and find a solution that makes this a really positive experience because Ultimately, as a coach, you know, I want what's best for my team, team first. And then ultimately, I want my kids, you know, or, you know, and now I guess, you know, from a a development standpoint to be the best version of themselves. And they can't get to that point if, if they don't know what to do, or they don't know what, what I want from them. And listen, a child doesn't know what they don't know. Um, So help them, help them learn, help them grow, talk to them. Um, and I just, I think that's so important and for coaches and coaches that are listening, it's like, that might be one of the best investments you can ever make 
in your kids. It's not, you know, anything other, it's not some expensive video system. It's not some fancy skills coach. It's not whatever. It's not more games. It's make time to build relationships with your kids, make time to build relationships with your parents and be really, really, really transparent because there should, there shouldn't be a guessing game because the guessing game creates anxiety and stress and frustration and ultimately poor performance. Um, so like I said, when I, when I coached and, and again, some of the amazing coaches I played for in my career, we would just have weekly, bi-weekly, whatever it was, different levels, different, you know, different capacity, but just conversations. Hey, Russ, this is what I like. This is where you're at. Let's watch this clip. Hey, tough weekend. This is why. Whatever. Hey, yeah, hey, I rolled you off the power play. This is why. The, the worst years I had were no one told me anything. So I'm guessing and I'm spinning my tires. And then I'm like, creating these negative thoughts and I'm self-absorbed with like all these, these really inaccurate assumptions, but that's because no one told me anything. I didn't know what the hell was going on. And if they just would have told me these things. And, um, and I think that the tune of this conversation changes a little bit as kids get older, uh, you know, maybe that 14, but maybe 15, 16 and older. Now I think the conversation really becomes more so just with the player specifically. Sure, loop in parents and keep them informed. I think that's important. But, you know, at that age, especially, like, I'm not coaching parents and families. I'm coaching kids or players, you know. So it's on the player to perform, and it's on that player to have the accountability of what they're asked to do. Um, that, that's important at that age. And, again, you know, let's just call it that Bantam midget high school, junior, college age. Um, you know, it changes a little bit then, but – even then involve the parents, communicate to them. Hey, you know, recap a meeting, put a quick email together. I, I think every parent would really appreciate that. Um, but yeah, communication is key. That's for sure. And I love that last piece you talked about with like the kids have to eventually be the ones fighting the own fight. Like if they've got the issue with any ice time or any issue with the coach or teammates or whatever it may be like, the, the longer you let that go, I mean, it, it doesn't solve itself. Like you've got to learn those skills and the only way to do it is through experience, like you said. So I, I love that idea of like slowly giving them more and more control where they see the accountability. They're creating these self-feedback loops. They're understanding that they can control an outcome. Their work pays off. Like I, I just absolutely love that um, and love everything you're doing at, at the Ohio hockey project. So um yeah. Anything else you want to mention? I mean, this has been a wide ranging conversation on a lot of good topics. And uh, I think there's a, a lot to be valued for many different folks uh, in hockey. Yeah. Big time. No, I, I, I yeah, we, again, we could talk, talk about a lot of topics, but you know, the things we covered, I mean, I just, you know, I guess the big takeaway was just, you know, you want to be successful in the sport. My, my secret recipe was coachability and work ethic. And then ultimately it was, you know, the passion for the sport. Um, you just, you gotta, you gotta love what you do and you'll see it. You'll see it in your chat, in your child. You know, if, if they're losing that drive, change things up, give them a break. That that's, that's a really important investment. And it's an investment that doesn't cost you a lot of money is time away from a rink. In fact, it, it saves you a lot of money actually. Um, but it's just probably has the bit. It, it's funny because, it actually has the biggest dividend um, of anything you could ever do for your kid is a break. But um, yeah, the passion is so important. And for any, any athletes listening to it is, you know, if you really, really are serious about your craft, 
commit to it and and what amazing examples we have as athletes you know lebron james is probably the most infamous athlete on the face of the planet arguably in our generation and you know all he talks about is, is his commitment to greatness his his commitment to his craft and to his body his nutrition being a student of the game and it's like what an amazing mentor and obviously i guess anybody from northeast ohio is extra biased because he's representing us but um yeah, you know, you, you just got to be a student of the game and you just got to have this this obsession with just bettering yourself, bettering yourself every, every chance you get. Right. All right. Final question. I appreciate you coming on and thank you for doing this. So you've played all these years. You've studied the game in depth. What is your best playing trick? What is the trick that you love to play on, whether it be an on-rushing forward checkers or you're at the point, you throw a fake shot? Like, do you have any tips, tricks, or things where you're like, oh, I got you? I'm just having fun out here. Yeah, probably just pass it to the best player on the ice and get off. I'm <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh, just kidding. Um, uh, too uh, yeah, no, best trick. I listen. I, I wasn't a, a hyper skilled guy that's going to go in like Sports Center top ten a guy. Um, I was a very, very, very uh, big proponent of like the north south of the drive wide game. I'd I'd make a quick cut in and then I'd push the puck wide. And you know, if I had you know I had the speed or I had the length to do it. I just could put the puck outside of your reach and I'm going to beat you wide and do something from that, that vantage point. That was nothing, uh, nothing super, uh, Instagram sexy about it, but it, uh, it was extremely effective. And I think more kids need to play that way. Don't try to slow down and dance through people play the game fast and down the wall. Effectiveness works. Uh, at the end of yeah. the day, it's all about who gets the job done. It doesn't matter how you get it done. So couldn't agree more. That's good. I was a small guy. I, I had to I had different tools, so they, they yeah. all work, but you can make them work for you depending on what your uh, God-given talents, attributes, what you've worked to put together are. So, no, Russ, really appreciate you coming on. This was absolutely a blast and uh, th thoroughly enjoyed it, and finally we were able to connect and get you on. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. You're doing some great things with the Arsenal, and I, I hope some some listeners are, are taking the time to, to, to tune in because every every talk you have and every you know article you release is some really really valuable content and again just you know trying to better yourself and absorb as much information as you can this is a great resource for it oh absolutely appreciate it all again one last uh, shout out to the ohio hockey the ohio hockey project ohp the project as we like to call it so thanks again for everything you do happy to be here That concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, hockeysarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch your buttes here next week for a brand new episode.